This podcast contains explicit language. In 1993, when I was 16, my younger brother and I attended a Giants-Dodgers game at Candlestick Park. It was the first time my parents had ever allowed us to drive into the city and go to a ball game by ourselves. It was an afternoon game, and the infamous candlestick drunks were out in full force, especially when presented with the easy prey of two kids decked down in Dodgers gear. But what I most remember about that game wasn't the abusive Giants fans. It was one particular Dodger fan, this guy three seats over, wearing a Fu Manchu and a Mike Piazza jersey, who actually looked a little like Mike Piazza too, if Piazza were 80 pounds heavier and dressed for a casting call on Duck Dynasty. We were sitting down the left field line, and this guy spent the whole game pounding beers and heckling the hell out of the closest player to us, Barry Bonds. Ken Griffey Jr. is better than you are, he yelled at Bonds. You couldn't carry Ken Griffey Jr.'s jock. Ken Griffey Jr. is a family man. On and on it went, until eventually he ran out of things to yell, so he just kept yelling that name at Barry Bonds. Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. He was yelling it loud enough that Bonds actually turned around to look at him. And on the next play, as I recall, Bonds misplayed a single into a double. Such was the power of Ken Griffey Jr. in the 1990s. His team wasn't even involved in the game. He was hundreds of miles away playing for the Mariners. But his name alone was powerful enough to be used as ammunition in baseball's most heated rivalry. Those three simple words, Ken Griffey Jr., were powerful enough to put baseball's most arrogant slugger in his place and keep him there. That's coming up on Fade Away. Hi, everybody, and a very pleasant Sunday to you, wherever you may be. Welcome to Fade Away, the Baseball History Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Enders. Today's brief episode is The Catch, The Magic of Ken Griffey Jr. For people my age, Ken Griffey Jr. is a cultural milestone as much as he is a baseball player. He was the most nationally beloved player of my lifetime by a country mile. Everybody loved him. I loved him. My brother loved him. My dad loved him. And I think even my mother loved him, although I'm not sure she could tell you what position he played. We were a Ken Griffey Jr. loving family, as were a great many families in the early 1990s. The other day I took a peek in my brother's childhood bedroom, which is fairly well preserved. 
And on the wall, there are still two Ken Griffey Jr. posters and a Ken Griffey Jr. autographed picture in a wooden frame. On the dresser is a plastic Ken Griffey Jr. figurine. Somewhere in the closet, I think, is a Ken Griffey Jr. model glove. My father's generation had Mickey Mantle. His father's generation had Babe Ruth. My generation? Well, we had Ken Griffey Jr. My memories of Ken Griffey go back to before his major league career even started. When I was 12, we took a family vacation to Arizona and attended a Mariners spring training game in Tempe. It was Ken Griffey's first spring training, and at 19 years old, he was a long shot to make the Mariners roster, although even then, everyone knew he was going to be great. I remember being super excited that here was this unbelievable player, and I was getting to see him play before he even got called up to the big leagues. Of course, Griffey did end up making the team that year, and it was all the more exciting for me because I'd just gotten my first Ken Griffey Jr. baseball card. If you were a kid in the 1980s, the Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card was the holy grail of baseball cards. Sure, there was the 1984 Donruss Don Mattingly, and also the 1985 Topps Mark McGuire. But the 1989 Upper Deck Ken Griffey Jr. is the most iconic baseball card of the last half century. Upper Deck was this upstart company that espoused the radical idea that baseball cards should actually have production values. For years, the Topps company had been printing its baseball cards on cardstock that seemed made of recycled dog meat, and its competitors weren't much better. In 1982, a company called Fleer put out a set that had more blurry photos than your middle school yearbook. But in 1989, Upper Deck changed all that by putting out a set printed on shiny white cardstock with color photos on the front and the back, and a hologram on them for good measure. That's right, a freaking hologram. This was a new era of baseball cards, and card number one in 1989, the very first card in Upper Deck's very first set, was of a kid who had never played in a major league game. The number one pick in the most recent draft, Ken Griffey Jr. It's an ethereal, almost otherworldly looking card, partly because the photo wasn't taken on a major league baseball field, and its subject isn't wearing a major league baseball uniform. Since Griffey had never played in the majors, the Upper Deck photographer had to dress him up in a Mariner's cap, along with a weird, heavy turtleneck of a kind that I've never seen a baseball player wear, and which doesn't even match the team colors. In the shot, Griffey is wearing a plain white jersey, probably his high school or minor league uniform, with the photo cropped on the card so that you can't see the lettering of the jersey. In the picture, Junior is showing off two gold chains around his neck, in an era when ballplayers didn't really wear jewelry on the field. It's a transcendent card, partly because of how unusual it is. The chains, the turtleneck, the non-baseball backdrop, but also because of the teenage kid depicted on it, who has a mustache so thin you could put a little milk on it and let the cat lick it off. The kid is smiling his irrepressible smile, full of the promise of the future, and all us kids connected with that. After I grew up and became a journalist, I got to be around Ken Griffey in the clubhouse a few times, toward the end of his playing days. It was fun to see his clubhouse presence, this guy whose career had been brought to a standstill by injuries, whose aging body wouldn't do what he wanted it to do anymore. It had to be frustrating, yet he was still the carefree personality from his younger days, keeping the clubhouse laughing all day long. Once we were talking about why catchers throw the ball around the horn after a strikeout, and a quick explanation here, in case you don't know what around the horn is. 
It's a tradition in baseball where every time a batter strikes out with nobody on base, the catcher throws the ball to the third baseman, who throws it to the shortstop, who throws it to the second baseman, who throws it to the first baseman, who finally throws it back to the pitcher. Sometimes it goes in a slightly different order. But anyway, nobody really seems to know why this happens or how it got started. I told Junior I thought infielders probably started doing it a long time ago so they'd have a way to stay loose in between batters. How come outfielders don't get to stay loose then, he wondered, before embarking on a 10-minute long comedic riff where he tried to enlist his teammates David Ross and Adam Dunn in a scheme to throw the ball around the horn in the outfield. You mind, guys? Oh, the first yeah. fucking oh, strikeout. Yeah. Throw it to us. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, have, if you throw it to us. No jam. Just do it. Just do it. Just do it. Just throw it to me. I'll scoot up. What's up, Doc? Hey, dude. Well, we have a question. You gotta do it quick, though. How do you? Why do we throw it around? So hold on. He says to keep the keep the infield loose and make a move to feet. Well, what about the outfield? So would you throw a ball to us? He wants to he wants to throw it to the left. Don't want to throw it to the left so they can throw it around. You'll throw it around and then throw it in. And throw it first. Matter of fact, you throw it to left. Matter of fact, you throw it to right. No, if you throw it to right, I'll fire it back to the pitcher. See? <laughs> All we need is one more boat. One more vote. <laughs> That's all I'm looking for. It's fun. That would be fun. No, bullshit. No, hell no. Throw the motherfucker to the outfield. Tommy, why you throw the ball around after a strikeout? Why is it? Hold on. No. Okay. Okay. Now, would you throw it to the outfielders? So we can throw it around one day? We're not Yes, we want to be a part of it. I can make that. First strike out, just throw it out there. I mean, some guy throw it to first base, some guy throw it to third. Fuck it. Throw it to left. He's going to throw the ball to Dunner in the outfield. We're going to throw it around the outfield instead of the infield. And you throw it to first. And you throw it to first. <laughs> like all kids who grew up watching baseball in the 90s, I have lots of different memories of Ken Griffey Jr. I remember the day he and his dad hit back-to-back home runs. I remember him wearing his cap backward while hitting a moonshot off the warehouse in Baltimore. I remember eating Ken Griffey Jr. candy bars, buying them more for the wrapper than for the chocolate. Speaking of rappers, I also remember the time he tried to be one. I remember when Nike ran an ad campaign called Griffey for President, and it seemed like they were only half-joking. He might have actually been elected. I remember the time he requested special permission to wear number 42 on Jackie Robinson Day, starting a tradition that eventually spread throughout baseball. 
I remember sitting in my college dorm room, watching him play against the Yankees in the 95 playoffs, sliding home with the run that saved baseball in Seattle. I remember the injury that started his downward spiral when he sprinted to make a thrilling catch on the dead run, snagging his spikes on the wall before shattering his wrist. And of course, I remember the smile. We all remember the smile. And that smile is the reason why, of all the Ken Griffey Jr. moments, the one I remember best of all is the catch. Now, Jr. made dozens upon dozens of great catches, but there was one in particular that, in my head, I've always referred to as just the catch. It distilled everything that was great about Ken Griffey Jr. into one incredible play. It happened on April 26, 1990, about a year into Griffey's career. The batter hits what appears to be a home run, but Griffey, sprinting back into his right, far into the gap, covers an extraordinary amount of territory with his long, graceful legs before jumping, still at full speed, about five feet shy of the wall. His momentum carries him to the wall, where he digs his spikes into the padding and propels himself up so his glove reaches three feet above the fence. High ball into deep left center field. Griffey going back to the one track, leaps high in the air, and he's got it! An incredible catch by the kid! He takes away a home run from Jesse Barfield, climbing the wall in left center field in Death Valley here at Yankee Stadium. Look at Barfield, he's stunned. He's standing there with his hands on his head. I don't believe it! Holy me! The best part about this catch wasn't even the catch itself but Griffey's reaction to it. As the batter stands on second base with his hands on his hips, glaring, Griffey sprints back toward the dugout, holding the ball up like a trophy for everyone to see. He can barely contain his excitement, like a kid who just got the Millennium Falcon for Christmas. And on his face is the biggest smile you've ever seen, an expression of excitement and wonder and pure joy. It is the most Ken Griffey Jr. of all Ken Griffey Jr. moments, and years from now, when I'm an old man and I've forgotten the rest of Junior's statistics and awards and accomplishments, that smile is what I'll remember. This episode of Fadeaway was written, produced, and edited by Eric Enders. As always, thanks to the authors whose published work was helpful in researching today's show. And thanks also to the listeners who have rated and reviewed the podcast on iTunes. If you enjoyed today's show, why not help us out by writing a review? You can visit our website at fadeawaypodcast.com. That's where you'll find the episode box score, which contains the full list of sources and music credits for today's show, as well as a picture of that iconic Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at FadeawayPod. Thanks for listening. And, you know, in addition to eating Ken Griffey Jr. bars, I also had a Reggie bar once. When I unwrapped it, it told me how good it was. Don't you tell me why now All my love is there
Fadeaway is sponsored today by Audible. For listeners of Fadeaway, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you a chance to try out their service. Audible is the best place to get audiobooks, with over 180,000 titles to choose from and an easy-to-use app that makes it simple to listen on any device. Summer is the season for road tripping, so why not listen to a great baseball book while you drive? One title Fadeaway listeners might enjoy is The Big Bam, the Life and Times of Babe Ruth by Lee Montville, narrated by Scott Brick. You can get this book, or any other book of your choice, for free within seconds by visiting audibletrial.com fadeaway. That's audibletrial.com fadeaway. <laughs> 